You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, July 25th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. A Coast Guard crew from Air Station Sitka rescued two men in need of medical attention on Thursday. The first call came through shortly after 10 a.m. from Tenakee Springs. According to a Coast Guard press release, Juno Command received a report from a crew member on the sailing vessel Freezing Rain that a 75-year-old man on the boat was experiencing severe hip pain. The boat was anchored across Tenakee Inlet in Corner Bay. A Tenakee Springs fire rescue crew transported the patient to a nearby dock. A Coast Guard helicopter crew met them there and medevaced the patient to Mount Edgecombe Medical Center in Sitka for care. Then, shortly after 4 p.m., the Coast Guard received a VHF radio call from a group of campers on Cruzoff Island, about 15 miles northwest of Sitka. The campers reported a 61-year-old man was suffering from possible spinal injuries after an ATV accident on North Beach. They'd immobilized the man and moved him away from the beach with a tarp to avoid the rising tide, but reported that he had no feeling from the waist down. A Sitka helicopter crew landed on the beach and brought the man back to Sitka in roughly one hour. Researchers in the Sitka tribe of Alaska are trying to figure out how far subsistence herring eggs travel across the state and beyond each spring. The distribution network for herring eggs is very complex and far-reaching. It's estimated that around 87% of eggs harvested out of Sitka are given away, and eggs are often shared several times before they reach their final user. Kyle Rosendale is a fish biologist for the tribe. He says they've been surveying harvesters in the post-season since 2002. This year, they're expanding their survey efforts to include folks on the receiving end of the eggs, traditionally gathered on hemlock branches in Sitka Sound each spring. And we received some feedback from people and realized there's a lot of information we're not capturing about the distribution network for herring eggs. We ask um, harvesters about meeting their needs and how they share herring eggs in our postseason harvest surveys. And this survey looks from the other end of the distribution network, uh, how our final consumers meeting their needs, how do they receive eggs. Rosendale says they've received around 200 responses so far. The survey takes about five minutes, and they're looking for anyone who likes to eat subsistence herring eggs to respond, whether they live in Sitka, southeast Alaska, or even farther. So we know Sitka herring eggs, we know they, they go to Juneau, we know they go to Bethel, we know they go to Hawaii and Ohio, and we're just hoping to hear Uh, from some of those people about how they get eggs and if they're able to meet needs both for themselves and to share with all the people they would like to share with. Rosendale says the tribe hopes the data will paint a picture of the overall reach of local herring eggs, as well as inform future research. Participants who fill out the survey will be entered in a drawing to win cash prizes. You can find a link to the survey on our website at kcaw.org. The state budget Governor Dunleavy signed into law last month has a surplus of almost $2 billion, but that won't necessarily translate into the windfall megaprojects of Alaska's first oil boom. In part three of our interview series with Sitka Senator Burt Stedman, who co-chairs the Senate Finance Committee, KCAW's Robert Woolsey asked Stedman to share his insights into how Alaska is spending its unexpected wealth this year. The main thing to remember about oil prices, and who isn't reminded every time they fill up a car, is that Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February and the subsequent embargo of Russian oil pushed oil from $80 per barrel to $120 per barrel. In Alaska, every $10 increase in the price of oil amounts to about $1 billion in state revenue. This all happened fast. The Alaska legislature was in session. Bert Stedman, co-chair of the Senate Finance Committee, said there was census nevertheless, 
to build a conservative budget that breaks even at pre-war prices, but funnels money into the state's two major savings accounts, the Permanent Fund, and some other select programs if the price meets or exceeds certain benchmarks. And the reason we wanted a structure like this is we want to get the discussion on the table of how do we save our windfall revenue in in the event and when it comes, and it does come from time to time, um, so we don't just balloon up our expenditures or squander it off on frivolous spending, um, but actually make it beneficial for decades. This is a little different approach than the early years of Alaska's oil boom when it seemed that there was no end in sight to oil revenues. Times have changed, of course, and Stedman has watched Alaska spend more than it's earned every year since 2012. Now the budget's got these levers to make sure nothing's spent unless the revenue is there. For example, $85 oil is the basic budget. $87 oil starts forward funding of the state's public schools, or paying for schools two years at a time rather than one. $101 oil begins to refill the nearly empty constitutional budget reserve. $111 oil and above is deposited into the permanent fund. Stedman would like to see even more money go into the constitutional budget reserve, the state's main savings account, but it's not an especially sexy policy. We already know what the main distraction will be in the capital next year. But then there's also the debate over the dividend. The permanent fund dividend captures the interest of Alaskans like nothing else, but it presents a problem for conservatives like Stedman who have a very restrained approach to government spending, even when that spending is a cash payout to residents. He says the dividend formula is from a different era. You know, we have the dividend formula that was put in place 40 years ago under a totally different portfolio structure. It was all bonds, and it was the split 50% of the earnings, roughly, uh, to the uh, people for the dividends and the other 50% to, uh, to the state, and the state reinvested their monies. Um, and we now have, you know, a little less than $80 billion in there. But the payout of that old structured formula is significant. It would be probably $4,200 this year, somewhere in there. And... You cannot cash flow. The math doesn't work. You can't cash flow that and meet your other obligations. The final compromise on the dividend this year was $2,600 with an additional $600 in energy relief for a total of $3,200. And what about the big projects? The roads, bridges, ferry terminals, and other capital spending that rides on the coattails of high oil prices. Stedman says the legislature allocated twice as much to projects in the current budget than in recent years, but he himself was reluctant to go overboard. A lot of uh, members wanted to have even bigger capital budget and you know, buy more things for their communities, the election year and all that stuff. I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted to concentrate on fixing the fiscal position of the state so we're not, we don't go into another oil dip and then we're totally crippled. And I certainly didn't want to start new, bigger projects and then have the finances turn around on us and we're stuck with a bunch of this deferred maintenance that we already have and projects that are underway that are now in trouble and we don't have the resources to help them. So I wanted the concentration on the state looking at their deferred maintenance, building our savings position, along with increasing the fiscal 
position of the cities because they've been hit hard also. The biggest immediate benefit to Sitka is not building something new, but paying for some things already built. The city will get a check for just over $4 million to cover school bond debt reimbursement that had been vetoed by the governor in his first year in office. The bonds paid for numerous improvements and remodels in the Sitka School District over the past decade. Stedman also wanted to knock off the total $200 million in deferred maintenance for Alaska schools, but he says, I did not prevail in that position. Instead, the Senate opted to allocate half that amount. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. A bill that would have reinstated a surcharge on sport fish licenses in Alaska failed to pass the state Senate during the legislature's second session this year. The bill to reinstate the surcharge passed the House but did not make it beyond the Senate Finance Committee. Sitka Republican Senator and Finance Committee co-chair Bert Stedman says Southeast hatcheries were shortchanged under the old fee and he didn't see that improve with this legislation. They basically gave us the short end of the stick because we didn't have the votes. I tried to fix it at the time and just got run over. I was in my earlier tenure. So I waited and waited and waited until the bonds were paid off, and the bonds were paid off, and that $5 was supposed to go away. And um, they, the fish and game wanted that $5 to um, for operations and you know, had that bill for $5 and they were going to give the same amount of money to Dipec and Crystal Lake. And I told them, no, thank you. Some of the money from the old surcharge went to produce king salmon at Douglas Island Pink and Chum, or Dipac, in Juneau, along with the Crystal Lake hatchery on southern Mitkoff Island. Stedman is also opposed to the state's use of money from federal sport fish excise taxes to pay for hatchery operations. He called it a fairness issue. They were using federal money to run uh, the hatcheries, so they didn't didn't show up as general funds, and they wanted the people in uh, Southeast to pay a, you know, pushing thirty percent of the cost of, of, um, and get, you know, thirty percent of all the all the licenses that are sold, take that revenue and give us back five or six percent of it. I mean, it's just it just wasn't fair. While the long-term funding bill died this session, the legislature did include an appropriation of just over $846,000 for Southeast hatcheries in the operating budget. It's one year of funding, and it's more than the facilities received under the surcharge payment. Nonetheless, Alaska Department of Fish and Game Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang writes by email that without the surcharge, the state will need to make tough choices on whether to maintain hatcheries using existing funding. He said that could mean reducing other sport fish programs or hatchery production across the state. The department is discussing whether to resubmit the legislation next year, but it hasn't yet made a decision. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this is Raven News.